I, I love the way that, you know, where we try and do church is to set people up, not just to have a good experience on a Sunday, although that's important, I hope you have a good experience on a Sunday, but to actually set you up for a good life. Yeah. That outside of a, a Christian meeting, you are living a good life. Who's sick and tired of wishy-washy Christians? You know, I am. Let's not be one of them. I'm sure we will have moments where we're a bit up and down, and that's okay. But on average, let's be people who stand on what we believe. Let's be people who declare the goodness of God because he's changed my life, and I'm going to live like it. And that is inspiring. You know, so often we wrestle with what evangelism looks like, and it's awesome to have evangelistic meetings that you're with an evangelist preaching the gospel, and you invite people to, and that's important and good. But all of us are evangelists. All of us were sent, and all of us have got a story to tell. So how about we start getting brave and living like we really mean it? Is there an amen somewhere in the house? Uh, one of my favorite verses now has become John 10.10. Most of you will be familiar with it. It's where Jesus says, uh, The thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. But I, but Jesus, I have come that you would have life and life in its fullness, in its abundance. I like to word, use the word outrageous. That's the essence of what he's trying to say. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I came that you'd have an outrageous life. Isn't that the heart of the Father right there? So when he's talking about the thief... You know, we know he's talking about Satan. Yeah? We all get that. And the trouble is, when we picture Satan, we picture this, you know, little red imp with a pitchfork. You know that image? But the biblical description of, of Satan is very, very different to that. I'm not going to bring it on the screen, but you will find it in Ezekiel 28 if you choose to look. Because he was Lucifer. And he was in heaven. And the biblical description of him is of the most beautiful angel so beautiful, in fact, that he was adorned, his whole being was adorned with, with rare gems. And the idea, the whole point of his role was to reflect the glory of God back to himself. So who knows that if you've got a gem, all the ladies in the room have got a gem on the finger. Come on, let's see them gems right now. Come on, there's more gems in the room than that. Or are the men too stingy? When you shine a light, a torch, the sunshine on that gem, it sparkles, doesn't it? Imagine if you were a person completely covered head to toe in gems. When the glory of God comes in the room, it reflects something. And that was Lucifer's role. Lucifer, the name, means bearer of light. And so that's how the Bible describes him. But he became proud. Oh, I, I don't need you, God. I, I'm as good as you. In actual fact, I'm really important. And God said, okay, I'm the creator. You're the created. I'm removing you from my presence. And he came down to earth. We now call him Satan, which means adversary. One who's up, up against us. And here's why he hates you. Because it's people's job to reflect the glory back to the Father. And it used to be Lucifer's job to reflect the glory back to the Father. He hates humanity because we've now got his job and he'll never have it again. And so Jesus says, the thief, Satan, comes to kill, steal, he wants to mess you up. But I came that you would have outrageous life. So we get a choice in life. Where are you going to focus? And I want to say today, could we be resolute Christians who focus on Jesus? Because when you focus on Jesus, it leads to the outrageous life. And who wants that one? If you're not waving your hand right now, come on. <laughs> oh, I might want an outrageous life. I'm calling this message today, Dangerous Distraction. You know, this thief that Jesus speaks of, he comes in all kinds of ways and all kinds of schemes and sets things up and around your life because he wants to mess it up. And one of his tactics is distraction. 
Give me a wave if you feel like you get easily distracted. Wowzers. <laughs> Some distraction is helpful. Who likes a good old Netflix binge? Oh, come on, the room's like, oh, yes, now you're talking my language. Do you know what? Some distraction is helpful. Sarah and I are busy people. But on our day off, we like to sit in front of a, a, a series and watch two or three. Or four or five. <laughs> but do you know what? For us, that's helpful. Because God made the Sabbath for people. He said, you need a day off. You need to take away from the pressures of your day, of your life, of your week, and have a moment. And for us, that's a moment. So we choose to have a little bit of a Netflix or watch a film or something. And that's a helpful distraction because we judge it by its fruit. The fruit of that is that we feel in our marriage, we connect with the tension. You know, we like the crime ones who've done it. I can't believe that. It's going to be him. It's going to be him. Sarah always gets it in the first episode. <laughs> Gutted. She is Miss Marple. But we enjoy going through that together. And at the end of it, oh, that was brilliant. I didn't see that twist coming at the end. Oh, it was amazing. And that's helpful. We bond in it. We chill out in it. We stop thinking about the pressures of life in it. The fruit of that is good. For you, it might be a meal out. It might be a hobby. It might be gaming. Give me a wave if you're into the gaming. Yes, yeah, great. And some of it's helpful. There's a line, though. There's a line between Netflix, one day, three or four episodes, to Netflix, seven days, seven episodes. There's a line between gaming for an hour in the evening because it's just chilling me out, to gaming seven days a week all of the time. Do you see that there's a line? And the trouble is, as people, we get so easily distracted from what's the main thing? And I believe that's a tactic the devil uses. So what's the fruit? You see, the devil here, the thief in John 10, 10 here, comes in and he brings distraction. Oh, you know, you've got important stuff to do that's important to you, but another episode. You've got important stuff to do that, that really help your life, but another game. Just see what happens. And where's the fruit? And so where's it coming from? What's the source? And... Some distractions are horrendous and, and life-threatening. Uh, some years ago, I was on the road out to Braintree from Colchester. It's a single carriageway. And uh, I was in the car. It was one of my first cars. I think it might have even been mum's car that I was insured on. And I was driving uh, along the road. And the car in front of me wanted to turn right. So I had to stop. It was going into the petrol station there on that road. And had to stop. The car behind him stopped because he was waiting for the oncoming traffic to go past. And then I pulled up behind them. In my rearview mirror, there is a 52-seat bus coming. And he's about 200 metres away. You don't think anything of it, do you? You sit there. <laughs> looking. You then look in the mirror again, and he's going the same speed, and he's now 100 metres away. And you start thinking, oh. I now keep focusing. 50 metres away, he's going the same speed. And I'm like, he's good. Do you know there's that moment when you know he's going to hit you? Well, this 52-seat bus hit me at nearly 60 miles an hour. He wrote my car off. I wrote the car off in front of me, and that wrote the car off in front of it. And we went, I'm going to say, about 100 metres up the road. It was horrendous. I could touch, from my seat, I could touch the back windscreen. It was there. My car was about half the length it should have been. And I believe, and I don't know where you stand this up, but I had angelic support that day. Because there was four places to sit in that car, and the other three spaces, bar the driving one, were crumpled in, you just you would have been squashed. There was, there was literally no room for anyone else to be in that car, and I got out of it with a bumped knee. It's terrible, it was. It took at least a day to recover. 
I phoned my mum up and said, Mum, Mum, some idiot in a bus has just written the car off. And she goes, ha, 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 ha. She turns up and bursts into tears because my car really was half the length because she said, I thought you were joking. But my point is this. When they interviewed the bus driver, he said, I'm so sorry, I just got distracted. And it's his job to drive. It was a bus full of um, old-age pensioners who had been out on a trip, and they said to him, if any of those pensioners die within the next year, they could attribute their death to this accident because it can take that long for the shock to go through. The guy just got distracted. And my point being this, distraction can be dangerous. And how about in your life, are things distracting you, which is ruining what you're actually about and therefore is dangerous? The way I want to play this is I want to look at Nehemiah. Uh, many of you will know his life. He was, he was called to, to build a wall. Um, and I just want to look at it because I think you'll see some of the things that came at him in terms of distraction that will relate to you. Uh, so let's start here in Nehemiah uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, uh, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You see, here's the thing. He heard, Nehemiah heard that Jerusalem was in a state. The walls were down. It had been burnt down. It had become an embarrassment. It was a disgrace. And it moved him. And it moved him so much that he fasted and prayed and God gave him a vision. I want you to go build the wall. I wonder how many of us have been moved so much in life that we actually have to act on it. And what do we really care about? We can all say, oh, yeah, that's sad, or oh, yeah, that, that inspires me. But it only really inspires you when you move. And so here, Nehemiah gets this vision in his life, and he says, I'm going to go and build this wall. And you know God's with you when you get flow, because he goes to the king and says, can I have some time off? Well, he should never have got time off, but the king says, I'll give you some time off. More than that, the king says, I'll fund it. He's like, okay, this is going well. He turns up and he makes a call out to the people. Let's build this wall together. And they all come. He's in the middle of flow. There's been provision. There's been favor. There's been volunteers. He is moving. Uh, who knows when you get in the flow, distraction comes. Have you ever been in that place where you're like, this is going really great? And then something happens which just gets your attention off of where you're supposed to be. Nehemiah 4 verses 1 through 3 says this. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry. He was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifice? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break that down. They're walls of stones. Who knows that when you're in the middle of doing something that's important to you, people often start taking the mickey. Oh, you'll never achieve that. You're applying for that job. You're never going to get that job. You're doing that course. Oh, you'll never do that course. Oh, you think you're going to make a go of your marriage? You. These things come at you. And you have to decide in that moment, is this thing bringing life and outrageous life and abundance? Or is this thing coming to kill and steal and destroy? Because when you can analyze that, you know the source. And is the source the thief? Or is the source 
the one who comes to bring outrageous life. And that will help you decide what you give your attention to. And it's always going to be there. It's interesting because this is a spiritual thing. Who knows? We're never against people. But we're in this spiritual battle because we're spiritual people. So Jesus says, let me come and live in you spiritually because I'm going to bring life. But then the devil comes in and uses spiritual things through natural circumstances to bring distraction. And we need to be aware of what we're up against. Nehemiah 4 verses 7 through 8 says this. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod uh, heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were beginning to close, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir trouble up against it. You know, sometimes when you're starting to push for the thing that you're passionate about, you have to fight. Sometimes things and situations and people are going to come against you to make life difficult for you. And what it really is is a test. Do you mean this or do you not mean this? And this is why I start the message by saying, I'm fed up of wishy-washy Christians. Because the fight is real. Things are coming your way. And are we going to buy into the thief or we're going to buy into the king of kings? But we have a choice. And it means action. At some point, the fight comes your way. And the dream that you're believing for, that thing that God's put in your heart that you hope for, gets attacked. And you either roll over and die or you stand up. But the one who says, I came to give you life, and life in its fullness, says, I will always be with you. You're never going to be standing on your own. And the great thing about being part of an awesome church is that you're never on your own in the natural evil. We're in this together. And I don't know what your dream is, but you've got one. And how about we share it, and we push for it, and we speak life into it, and we see it flourish, and we can celebrate together? Or do we roll over and listen to the thief? But we all have that. Nehemiah 4.13 says this, Therefore, Nehemiah speaking, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, positioned them by, uh, by their families with their swords, spears, and bows. This was Nehemiah's attitude. I have a dream in my heart. I know God's with me because I've got flow. You can take the mickey, but I'm not moving. You can come and fight me, but we're going to fight back. We're not rolling over here. We're not wishy-washy about this. We mean business. We're going to do this thing. I hope something in you is stirring up because there's a dream in your heart, and we're going to do this thing together. Verse 16 goes on to this. From that day on... Half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind the people of Judah. I love this. We're going to keep building. Yes, there's a fight going, but we're not going to focus on the fight. We're going to focus on the build, but at the same time, we're going to be prepared to fight. You see, we need to be people who are going to keep doing the thing we're called to do, but also be prepared. And this is what Nehemiah is just stimulating in us today. These stories are for our learning. These stories are, are appropriate for you today. What is the wall you're trying to build? What is the thing you're hoping for? Because there's a fight at hand. You know, I love it. It just starts getting ridiculous after here. Nehemiah 6, verses 1 through 3 says this. Uh, when the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, uh, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that, uh, that I had rebuilt the wall and not, not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent this message to me. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messages to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? 
You see, there needs to be some wisdom, people, that when you're in the middle, when you're in the final stretch of doing what you were called to do, people are still going to try and call you off of the project. And he says, no, you're going to make some stuff up. I can see what's in your heart. You see, what had Nehemiah done? He had assessed at the beginning, is Sanballat coming from the thief or is Sanballat coming from the king? And so every time Sanballat shows up at that point, he treats him such way. I'm not going to be distracted by you when I'm called to do this. I just find Nehemiah, when you look at it through that context, so inspiring. You know, I've got a dream in my heart. Nothing but nothing but nothing is going to distract me from it. No Mickey taking, no fight, no intimidation, no lies, no temptation. I'm going to finish this wall. So when you look at your life, what are the areas in your life that are important to you? You know, could it be your marriage, your friendships? Could it be your children and your parenting? Could it be your work and your finance? Could it be your health? Could it be your faith? Could it be your church? There are things, areas in your life that are important to you you want to go somewhere with and I guarantee you you're in a battle somewhere with them so how do we act how easily are we distracted now when you look at your marriage and marriages today so many fail but people will look around and look at other people's marriages and think oh their marriage is so good look at mine oh what's the point and you start giving up the classic is, isn't it, you look around and you see someone who's very attractive and you, your head gets turned and you think the grass is greener, but who knows the grass is never greener. And we get distracted when what we should be doing is sowing into the marriage. What we should be doing is spending time together. What we should be doing is looking in each other's eyes and saying, we're in this together. Come on, let's finish this. But we get distracted. People get distracted and we see it all around us. Who knows raising children is hard? It's hard, but it's worth it. You know, when your children get to the stage, where, when your children get to the stage where they're making you proud in public, it's worth the fight. When your children achieve something they've set their heart to, it's worth the fight. You know, when your children come up and give you a hug and say thank you, it's worth the fight. But it's a fight. But it's one worth taking. Because in the end, you see them go and flourish in life. And you think, wow. You know, it's interesting me, you know, fully adult now. But I know mum and dad still look at me like they're just proud. Because they set me up. I know there's other parents and grandparents in the room. I guess it goes to another level, all your grandparents in the room. You look down at your grandchildren and go, wow. You know, you played a part in that. Because you fought for something. And you raised your child and enabled them to raise their child. And we honour you. Let's give a round of applause for the grandparents in the room. I love that they had this attitude about them that we're going to work, but we're prepared to fight at any time. Because the thief is coming and sneaking around, but I'm ready. And I will assess where this voice is coming from, and I'm ready. There's the attitude that this is my vision, this is my marriage, these are my children. This is my financial situation. I'm not moving. Because there will always be something. I'm prepared to fight. I'm building it and you can't move me. You can take the mickey out of me. I'm not moving. You can fight me. I'm not moving. You can tell lies to me. I'm not moving. Because I've got a vision and I'm going to see it. I love that bit where it says, and the gap's closed up. 
How good when there's marriages in difficulty and they work together and the gaps close up. How about how great it is when you find yourself in lack and in debt and you put a plan in place and you stick to it despite the temptations and the gap close up. How about when we go into study, all you students out there today, when you think, no, I've got a deadline and you think, I'm going to work towards that, I'm going to work towards that, there's a party on, but I'm not going to that party because I'm working towards something and the gap close up and you get the grade you fought for. You can, you can put it into any area of life, this same situation. What is important to you? What are you standing for? And what are you going to do about it? Because it's your life. And we have this battle between the king of kings who says, I love you. I demonstrated my love for you when I spread my arms out. Let's do this together. Or you've got a thief who comes in all forms, just whispering and distracting you and sidetracking you and getting your eyes off the prize. And it doesn't go where you want it to go. I just love this whole idea. I'm sure many people, finance is an issue. And I love these people who sit down and go, okay, this is where I'm at, but I'm making a plan. This is where I'm going to live forever, but I'm here now. And so I'm going to rein in my spending. I'm going to pay off some of the debts. I'm not going to go out this week. And bit by bit, you stick to the plan and you stay on the wall and the gaps close. And at the end of it, you look back and go, yes, now I've got some freedom. But it takes choice. And you can do it, and we need to cheer each other on in this. I just even looking, looking at Jesus. Who knows that Jesus had distraction in his life? He came to demonstrate to us what it's like to walk out a life on earth with the Father. And he was distracted. Look here in Luke 9, verses 51 through 55. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead. And went into some, uh, to Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. See, look at this situation through what we're talking about. Jesus is on a mission. Jesus is on a mission to Jerusalem because Jesus came to demonstrate what life was like with the Father, get to Jerusalem and die a death he didn't deserve, therefore paying the debt of sin so that we don't have to pay the debt of sin. And it's free, by the way. I just shout out to anyone who hasn't committed to Jesus, you need to do that. It is life-changing. It takes you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and your world will never be the same ever again. Give me a wave if that's true for you. Yeah, come on. It's, it's the best decision you'll ever make. But Jesus here is on this mission. And he's going to Jerusalem because he knows that's where he's going to do what he came to do. But people don't want him there. People reject him. I love the way that James and John, I think that's how I'm going to react, isn't it? Shall we just bring fire down? <laughs> but what's Jesus saying? We're not against people. We love people. But there's a thief. It's coming to try and destroy what we're doing here. And he's using those people. So it's not the people we're against. It's the thief we're against. And so you might have people in your world you find difficult. You're not against those people. You're against the source of what's coming, the attitude that's coming at you. So we can pray into that. Because we have authority. Jesus said, all authority is given to me, therefore go. And I'm giving you the authority. It's an amazing situation we find ourselves in. So whatever comes against you to distract you, you have authority over it. The difficulty is, people, is we just get distracted instead of taking authority over it. So can we be a bunch of people from today that start saying, no, 
got a goal in my marriage, got a goal in my finances, got a goal in my faith journey, got a goal in my church, whatever it might be for you, and I'm sticking with it, and I'm not getting distracted, and when the distraction comes, I'm taking authority over it, rather than, oh, I think I'll just do this, which I think how so many people live. Jesus, resolutely, I'm going there. I don't care who wants me there. I don't care who set themselves against me. I am resolute. That's my Jesus. I love the way Isaiah puts it in, in chapter 50, verse 6 and 7. I offered my back to, this is a prophecy of Jesus. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting because the sovereign Lord helped me. I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint and I will not be put to shame. I love that. You know, by the way, lots of religions in the world, Christianity is the only one that has prophecy hundreds of years before it actually happens. The only one. There are over 300 prophecies about Jesus before he ever comes, and he feels, fulfills every single one of them. The, the, the numeric figure of the, the percentage chance of him fulfilling them is like something like one to the, I think it's about, is it 27 digits or something? It's impossible. But Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. It's humanly impossible to do what he did. And yet he did. And all of that stirs my faith to say, my Jesus is the real. He's the only God. And so he says this. He says, I set my face like flint. I start thinking, what does that even look like? You know? God's given me a, a dream to build a great church here. And there'll be all kinds of distractions. The week when no one shows up. The time when someone says, who are you? The time when, you know, people drop out. I don't care. I, what stuff? But you know what? I'm going to do it. Because my face is like flint. And I don't care what comes my way. I'm going to do what God called me to do. I don't care if there's a fight. I don't care if there's distraction. I don't care if there's lies. I don't care if there's lack. I'm going to keep going. And I invite you to come with me. Anyone, anyone like the Rocky films? I love a bit of Rocky. The fact that no one here likes Rocky, this might be a bit lost. But there's a picture here from the Rocky IV film. See, Ivan Drago has a face like Flint. See, that's what I picture when I think a face like Flint. If he dies, he dies. That's what he said, by the way. He's so lost. Some, if, if you're at home listening to this, laugh with me now, because I'm just, I'm just... The old tumbleweed just went past. Watch that film. It's a great film. It's inspiring. It's about someone who overcomes adversity and here we are living this life and we are called to be overcomers. But he has a face like Flint. I don't care what you say or you do. I'm going to win. And that was Jesus. And that needs to be you. Here's a great thought. God is with you. You're not even called to do this on your own. You're not even called to come up against these challenges and try and fight all of yourself. God is with you. Nehemiah 6.16 says this. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized this good work had been done with the help of our God. How about we stick to it, and when we get to the end of it and look back and go, wow, how did I achieve that? I'll tell you how I achieved it, because God was with you, and then everyone who comes against you suddenly thinks respect. And do you know what's happening in our church world right now? People are starting to give it respect. Because we're 13 years old, and we're gathering a crowd, and we're making a difference in our town. The things we said we'd do. It's awesome, and you're part of it. The question is this. Are you positioning yourself to achieve your dreams, and will you stick at it? Face like flint, knowing that God is with you. God is with you. 
turn to two people and say, God's with you. I, I love this as well. My God created the universe. The universe is epically big. So I want to encourage every single one of you, dream big. Do you know your dream isn't going to frighten God? You know, I don't know what your dream might be, but times it by 10, and it still won't frighten God. God created the universe. Sometimes I feel like, as Christians, we come to God and go, God, dream, Lord, I want this. And he's like, is that it? You can have that. I thought it could be a proper dream. Let's get some proper dreams. Now, my dream for this church is that we will one day be 7,000 people. That's my dream. Humanly, stupid. But my God's with me. Face like flint. Wouldn't it be cool one day, you guys are students who maybe go home and then five years' time come back and we're thousands. You'd be like, I played my little part in that. Bless you for it. Will you run with me? Because face like Flint, dreaming big. I don't know what yours is, but do it. One of our dreams, just as a story from our family life, one of our dreams in, in uh, 2020, Sarah and I celebrate 20 years of marriage. Yes, she is a saint. And uh, you, you know our two children, Josh and Evie, they're awesome. And uh, we're, we're kind of adrenaline junkies. We love theme parks and the rides and going upside down and all this kind of stuff. And so it's our dream on our 20th anniversary to take our children to Disneyland, Orlando. Um, not really for Disneyland, but the other one. What's the other one? Where the, the Universal, where all the big rides are. We want to go there. And so uh, we trot into the travel agent and say, look, we think about doing this. What do you think? And they said, well, you probably need to be budgeting about 10 grand. I picked myself up off the floor, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. And I was teaching myself, don't be distracted, dream big, dream big, dream big, dream big. Um, and the reality is for us right now is that Sarah hasn't had work since Christmas. And, um, you know, church is very generous to us, and we're able to live, but Sarah was able to provide the extras. And now we feel like God has closed the door on, on Sarah's work because it's just uncanny. She is super gifted. Anyone would be privileged to have her working for them, but she can't even get a cleaning job. It's just like, come on. And so we're feeling like, okay, God, you're saying something here. So we're praying a different prayer. We're not praying, Lord, give Sarah a job. We're saying, Lord, give us the money. Much better prayer. And uh, so, you know, five months into this year where we were hoping to save about £100 a week, our total savings right now is nil. And, um, <laughs> but God's been up to some stuff and he's been showing us some things and how he thinks differently to us. So recently when we went on a pastor's trip to Rome and because it was an early flight, we had to go up to Woking to, to stay the night there with a family in one of the churches we're connected with. Um, and we got chatting with them and, and said, you know, oh, we, you know, we want to go to Disneyland. It'd be so, so good. And they went, oh, you want to go to Disneyland? <laughs> we, we've got a villa five minutes from the front door of Disneyland. You're welcome to use it. The, 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 the accommodation would have cost us about two grand. So our bank balance says nothing, but our savings say £2,000. And they brought the pictures up on their very posh screen of what this villa looks like. It's four bedrooms. It's gated. It's got an inside and outside pool. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I fancy it. <laughs> so they've made us this offer. So we're like, wow. And they, as we were uh, talking through, they said, everyone flies into Orlando. They said, that's where everyone goes. But what you want to do is you want to fly into Tampa, was it? Yeah. Fly into Tampa. It's an hour's car journey, so it means renting a car. But the flights are literally half price. 
So what was going to be about a four grand plane journey has now become a two grand plane journey because we asked someone with some wisdom on it. So our bank balance says nil, but our savings now say four grand. <laughs> See, this is my God. We got chatting to someone else on this same trip, telling the same story. And they said, oh, one of the churches we're connected with is in, in California. And they have people there who are the head of staff at Disney. And he said, I tell you what, if we ask them, I'm sure they could get you in for nothing. <laughs> which would have cost us two grand. So our bank balance says nothing, but our savings say £6,000 right now. That's my God. <laughs> my point is this. We are going to Disneyland. Now, that might, be, that might not seem big to you, but it's big to us. And we're going to go there, face like Flint. I don't know how it's going to happen, but we will be there and we'll send you a picture. <laughs> Everybody who ever hears this message now, when we send that picture on Facebook or wherever we post it, like, you'll be like, oh, I remember him saying that. <laughs> I'll have my ears on and all sorts. <laughs> God is with you. And I don't know what your dreams are, but I know this. You need to stay on the wall. You need to be prepared to fight and build at the same time. The gaps will close. And as the gaps close, you'll get encouraged. And as the gaps close, the people that were discouraging you will be like, whoa. And who gets the glory? Come on, church. Let's live lives that count. Let's stop faffing about and start believing for some stuff. Because God gets glorified. Used to be Lucifer's job. Now it's your job, and he hates you for it, and he'll try and distract you, but you have authority. Could we be Christians that don't get distracted? How about this thought? A distracted Christian is a dangerous Christian. Because of this, people are watching you. People are watching you, and they're like, oh, yeah, I know you're Christian. I know you go to church and all that. And the moment you get your eyes off of Jesus and get distracted, they're like, oh, yeah, but you live like that. And it, it disempowers your journey. You want to reach out to someone and you're living not like that. Do you see what I mean? No point in sharing the gospel and then living something different. A distracted Christian is a dangerous Christian. And therefore, for you, if you're distracted and not living the life you're called to live, how can you expect the, the blessings of God to flow in your life? So it's disempowering you. A distracted Christian is a dangerous Christian. And I want to be a bunch of people that encourage each other to keep your eyes on Jesus. Because when you do that, it's powerful. Don't ruin your own dreams by getting distracted when God always wanted to give you it. But we need to make choices. Set your face like flint and live a life that will make Jesus proud. Should we stand up and pray? I just want to invite you just to close your eyes, if, if you're willing, just to give some focus, give the person next to you a bit of privacy. Jesus, Father. Lord, we submit to you in this moment. We just pray, come and search our hearts. Lord, if there's areas in our life where we've been distracted, I pray you'd highlight them to us right now. And we make a choice. Come on, church. We make a choice. We always get a choice. We make a choice right now, Jesus. Give you our full attention. To get our eyes off of the distraction. And onto the source of life. Thank you that you're with us. 
Lord, even when we've been distracted, you've said you'll never leave us. But when we, we unite with you, our blessings commanded. So we look to you. just want to give you a moment, church, just to do your own business with the Father. To get your focus on him. To make a few life choices. Lord, I want to declare big dreams over your church. Big dreams. Come on, stir up big dreams, Lord God, in your people. You're the God of the universe. Nothing's too big for you. Let us dream big. And let us set our face like flint to head towards it. Lord, we say sorry for the times we've got off the wall and been distracted. But today we choose, today we choose to get about your business. Today we choose to give you our full attention. Today we choose to be prepared to fight for the things we believe in. Just in this moment, church, with every eye closed, is there anyone here today who says, I need to be right with Jesus? I've been distracted. I've never been right with Jesus. But today is an opportunity for you to leave this place in relationship with Jesus, the one that brings life, the one that brings hope, the one that brings restoration. Do you want that? And if that's you today, give me a wave. We're going to pray a prayer. Bless you there. Bless you there. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else? Don't miss your moment. Bless you there. Bless you there. Bless you in the back. Bless you here in the middle. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So good. Lots of people responding. Isn't God good? I love it when lives are moved, hearts are moved, decisions are being made. Brings glory to the Father. And do you know what? If you're in this service today, you played your part in that. We create an atmosphere together for faith to be stirred. So I'm going to pray a line and then church, I invite all of you just to pray it with me. Father God, thank you that you love me. Today, I choose to give you, Jesus, my full attention. Come and live in my heart and be my Lord forevermore. Amen. Let's give the Father a round of applause.